You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and Canacurious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. The State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Monday, March 7th, 2022. This is episode number 230. I'm Susan Sores, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour, author of the children's book, What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and Cannabis's Favorite Grandma, a.k.a. Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast or watching on the YouTube channel, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 27,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you want to be an audience participant. That's one of the unique things about this show. Not only do we have a panel of expert correspondents, often we have someone in our audience that is intimately involved in the story. Otherwise, please subscribe to support our show. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. Today we're talking about an update on the Michigan recall, queer-driven cannabis dispensary opening in downtown L.A., the Royal Navy's largest cannabis bust in 10 years, pushback from the first California fair allowing cannabis, Israel may beat the U.S. to decriminalization, WeHo <clears throat> we and cannabis tourism, France to enter the medical market, and many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Audience, feel free to raise your hand if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you might get the gong. Kicking off the show today is Nicole West. She is a cannabis business specialist, director of operations at LB Atlantis, and an important advocate for the plant. Nicole is a veteran in the cannabis industry and is always ready to use her experience to guide others. That experience includes taking a felony for a vague and confusing law. During her brief incarceration, she earned the nickname Jail Google from fellow inmates. What's your headline today, Nicole? Good morning. Good morning. Happy Monday, everybody. Or as I'm going to call it, mids in Michigan on the shelf Monday. When uh, apparently Michigan marijuana recall reversal lets businesses sell contaminated cannabis. My headline today comes out of M Live from Guy Burns. And it is about more than 500 ounces of potentially contaminated marijuana, including some that tested positive for a fungus that can lead to lung infections or death, was quietly returned to the store shelves in Michigan late last year. An MLive investigation is revealed. The action was in the latest of the chain events set in motion on November, 20, uh, November 2021, where the recall of nearly 64,000 pounds of marijuana deemed potentially unsafe by the state's marijuana regulatory agency. The recall was prompted 
by a lack of faith in test results from Veritas, a Michigan-based laboratory with two locations. Retests following the recall found some of cannabis contained higher than allowable levels of yeast and mold, and in some cases, potentially dangerous banned pathogenic funguses like aspergillus, which can cause lung, lung infections, leading to death. However, when the state judge reversed parts of the recall, state regulators said they had few options but to release the marijuana that had failed for retesting for possible sale. In fact, emails obtained by NLive via the Freedom of Information Act show that at least nine growers or retailers pressured the state to release their product from holds despite the fact that it had actually failed retesting. MRA spokesperson David Harns told MLive January 13th that nearly 32 pounds, that's 513 ounces of marijuana, failed safety testing, yet made it to the store shelves with no clear indicator on packaging, notifying customers of potential danger. This product's been sold or is currently at least available for sale, Harns says, and I would be like completely surprised if it's not already sold honestly um Harnes has figured that uh figure doesn't include that additional unidentified amount of failed marijuana remaining at the processing or growth facilities that had yet to ship to retail stores email attained by n live reveals some companies push for the right to sell this contaminated weed super interesting bit of information in regards to uh the fact that there were eight different companies that reached out in regards to getting these cleared because apparently when they reversed the actual hold it reversed all the product and not just the stuff that was in regards to um the uh testing being held up because if you guys remember in the original article there various or Veritas Labs has two locations and the one location was the one in question and not the other. So when the reversal happened, it reversed all of the product on hold at the other lab, not just the product that was on hold because of the lab hold. So it, as it turns out, there was a lot, 513 ounces to be exact, a product that was technically on hold for having failed yeast and mold tests. And that product has already made it to the shelves, is already out and available. And there's a bunch of companies that are claiming that they were not a part of it. It's really hard at this point um, for us to know which ones were the failed products. That's actually something that's going to, I think, be released sooner than later. Um, there were four different companies that actually had uh, articles or had uh, comments in this article. And also, according to uh, Judge Murray's order on December 3rd, all recalled products should be treated as if the recall never happened. So that's the issue that's at hand, because at the same, at the same time, there was products that were recalled for actual real reasons, not just because of this recall. So six of the companies initiating emails reviewed by MLive, including MNS Stevens Ventures in Warren, Custom Genetics in Whitmore, Ant, Sp Ant Sparky's in Vast Levels Cannabis in Center Line, Gold Kind Cannabis in Warren, and High Mountain Cannabis and Company in Vassar never responded to the request for comments via phone or email. But it's uh, hard to say whether or not those were the ones that had tested product that failed. Now, there are three other companies with emails, including the MRA records for release, Green Mitten Farms in Bentley, Wanda Products in Luzerne, and Golden Harvest in Bay City. Said by phone or email, their marijuana was never sold to customers or never failed testing.
testing, but was on hold awaiting retest. When the recall was lifted, the samples no longer required retesting in the business asked the MRA to remove these holds. It should be noted that these products passed the original test and passed one of the two retests out of the three full and compliance, he said. However, out of an abundance of caution, we took immediate action with our retail par partners and the product and either returned to us or remediated or destroyed. So it sounds like some brands are taking this really seriously while others are not. Um, the failed retests have no bearing of the accuracy of initial laboratory results. According to Veritas Labs CEO, Greg Michaud, he said in December, once the sample was cleared at a point in time testing, the associated product goes through a variety of uncontrolled environments from transportation to processing to packaging and finally the provision centers where the product is handled. This is another problem in regards to the testing process uh, for cannabis specifically because the products are not being tested at final point where they're ready for sale. There's so much movement that can happen between the actual COA of release and the product getting to the consumer. And so this is one of the reasons why California has done what they've done in regards to testing, but it's something that still isn't fully uh, cinched up in regards to product, obviously in Michigan as a whole. Uh, and there's one comment at the end that I think is really important. It's either safe or it's not. And if the state of Michigan or a licensed testing facility says it's not safe, then it's not safe. Um, and that was actually something that was in regards to, to a comment from Freddie's Joint. And I think it's really important to note the brands that are going through the extra step to make sure that the product does not end up on the shelf. Uh, it's hard to tell right now whether or not those products that were released were or were not the ones that failed testing. Um, so it will be something that we will see and watch pan out. And I'm Nicole West reporting for the State of Cannabis News. I'm wondering if Aunt Sparky is a real person. If, if so, I want to meet Aunt Sparky. I absolutely do too. <laughs> well, Nicole, you know, there was is there a. There... Any, is there? I'm sorry, Jason. Is there any reasoning given the judge's decision? It just seems like the most asinine decision. So ever. the decision is. I don't. I don't. One of it. the labs failed process, and one didn't. Right. So the physical lab, the, it, it's literally just the the way that it was written in the the regulation and or in the the um, response from the judge. It wasn't asking, hey, what about the stuff that was on hold or was recalled because of this? It was a, if it was recalled, everything that was held on hold for this recalled date gets released. And so it just immediately released everything. There was no rhyme or reason into the, the reason it was put on hold as being a disseminating factor. So it's literally just the way that the law can play against you. You know, those ors or ands will get you sometimes. And it sounds like this is a similar situation where it just uh, said, release everything on this date and uh, not as to why it was put on hold. It's really unfortunate for the patients here because I think it's like it's confusing, obviously, for us on this side. So for patients, I really feel for them. It's a bad look for everybody, period. They can get their shit together. Bad, bad, tons, no, no boof comments, Jason? Tons, I was just about to go there. This is a fucking tons of boof weed in Michigan, and this is just more on the shelf for the boof state of Michigan. All right, well, we've reached time on that headline. Up next is Rico Lamite. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. He's also the patriarch of dad jokes on the show and keeps the show spicy. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Cannavision events, but always find him here every weekday as co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. What's your headline today, Rico? Oh, yeah. Mine's coming out from uh, Spectrum One News SoCal, and it's Green Queen brings LGBTQ plus BIPOC community based cannabis businesses to L.A. 
Green Queen, a new dispensary opening next month in downtown L.A., recently generated a bit of buzz as a safe, supportive retail space on a mission to give back to the community. I had the pleasure of having co-founders Andres Rigal and Taylor Baisley join me on stage for my B2B Canapreneur event series last year for Pride Month. The duo created Green Queen to address underrepresentation of LGBTQ plus and BIPOC communities in the California industry, describing it as a queer-driven in an industry where representation has been lacking. Per the article, the dispensary pays homage to Dennis Perone, who under Prop 215 helped pave the way for cannabis's treatment uh, for symptoms and side effects of medications during the height of the HIV AIDS epidemic. 10% of yearly profits are intended for DTLA Proud's planned community center, and they're aiming to hire queer people experiencing homelessness uh, through one of their partners. Green Queen will focus on helping LGBTQ plus and BIPOC brands compete in a well-capitalized white cisgender male-dominated market where established players have little issue covering slotting fees, which have become a major obstacle for minority minority success. Reported fees of up to $50,000 for prime shelf space is a familiar tune blamed for denying smaller brands visibility here in California. Opposed to taking a similar route, Green Queen will focus on equity. Furthermore, it'll be serving as an incubator for brands in the same lane, creating a space for consumers to feel a direct connection with their communities. Uh, the dispensary is finally opening this 420, and after a usual DCR red tape, extending their fight for years. In the article, Regal was actually quoted saying, uh, what we're trying to do is create that gayberhood in cannabis. A bit confused as to what that actually meant, I actually hit up. Andres and uh, Taylor last week to see if they'd join us for a brief explainer. Andres, uh, Taylor, are you on stage with us? Hey, how's it going? What's happening? What's happening? Thank you for having me. Absolutely appreciate you guys coming on with us. Uh, so I know we're pressed for time here. Uh, what is a gayberhood? And, uh, well, you know, when I say... I might want to be created here. For sure. I mean, the term gayberhood kind of comes from... Uh, so when you have, like, a queer business open in, like, a city then you'll have like another queer business open and you start to create kind of an authentic space and a safe space within a city center. And so when I'm talking about like neighborhood and cannabis, um, I really just struggled to see authentic representation of queer people in the cannabis space. That's not saying it doesn't exist. It absolutely does. And there are some really great brands out there, but especially from a retail perspective, I didn't see any sort of authentic retail Spaces that are representing queer people outside of Pride Month, which is just one month out of the year. You know, retailers just show up in June, slap a rainbow on a window, come out with some rainbow pre-rolls, and then disappear for 11 months. And that's all fine and well, but how is that really helping our community for the rest of the year? So with Green Queen, we're looking to create a authentic queer space 12 months out of the year, run and operated by queer people for queer people. You know, our motto is uh, cannabis for the community, by the community. So when I say neighborhood, it's it's creating that space in cannabis so we can then have other queer retailers, other queer brands come in because the idea is that we're setting a framework and a foundation for other queer and marginalized and BIPOC businesses to follow. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it, it definitely does. And uh, real quick here, though, uh, you did talk a little bit about performative acts there. Uh, could you explain the significance of rainbow crosswalks and uh, why you have actually fought for them in the past when you were no, out Hollywood? Is, is, is Taylor, Taylor here? Tell you there? Uh, I, I am. I am. Hello. Hey, good morning, everyone. 
What's happening, Taylor? Hey, glad to be here. Well, you know, uh, we actually have a more exciting update uh, related to queer art. We're, we're partnered with um, the iconic queer artist Patrick Church, um, who's going to be doing his uh, public art West Coast debut on the side of our building. It's a 1,700 square foot side, and it's a mural that's going to be celebrating um, queer identity and the expression of queer people. It's it's really quite something. I think there's even renderings maybe in the uh, the news article you posted, um, and it's it's really something to look forward to. Yeah, we're really excited. We're excited to, you mean, part of Green Queen um, is using every single inch of it to give queer people voices. So we have this, like, giant wall, and we're just so excited to have, you know, an up-and-coming queer artist put this iconic mural on the side of our building. Definitely. I definitely thank uh, both of you so very much for joining us this morning. We wish you guys uh, the best of luck and success with next month's opening, and you know that we're going to be uh, watching closely. So um, Yes. Absolutely. Well, thank I you. I hope you're at the grand opening. We'll see you soon. I'll try to be out there, most definitely. So, everybody, this is Rico Lamy, the dopest dad in these L.A. streets, reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Anybody else have any questions or any uh, comments on uh, Green Queen? Good morning. I love the vision of this company, and I love it when people build it into the business model, giving back to community. And their voice is very important right now as uh, some politicians around the country try to roll the clock back and push queer people back into the closet. Amen, especially in Florida. Well, thank you so much for that headline, Rico, and Andreas and Taylor for coming up, and everyone for your comments. Uh, We'll go ahead and hop to our next correspondent, Mr. Jason Beck. Jason is the longest-running retailer in cannabis history in the U.S., and the industry's very own, what do you have for us today, Jason? Oh, boy, Nicole. I hope everyone pulls out their calculators because they're going to need it to be able to translate some of these numbers. They're going to need their conversion table from pounds to dollars, where the Royal Navy seizes 6.5 million pounds of cannabis in the Middle East. That's right. 6.5 million worth of cannabis has been seized by a Royal Navy ship on a, on a uh, portal in the Middle East. It is what is believed to be the biggest drugs haul in the region in a decade. The crew of the HMS Montrose, a Navy Frygate based in Bahrain captured around 6.5 tons of hashish after intercepting a, a, a bo- or after intercepting and boarding a a D haul, a traditional sailing vessel in the Gulf of the Oman. The seizure is the third such uh, operation since the start of this year by the HMS Montrose and the ninth made by this ship since it was first deployed to the region to support allied anti-drug trafficking efforts in the region three years ago. According to the Royal Navy, operations carried out by the Montrose since its deployment have helped deprive traffickers of as much as 95 million pounds worth of illegal drugs. With this 6.5 million pound seizure, the largest of its kind made by ships in the Middle East in 10 years, a spokesperson for the Royal Navy said, while the commandos and sailors conducted their thorough search of the suspect vessel, the ship's Wildcat helicopter provided support and protection throughout, making sure that nobody offboarded any of these drugs. In a statement by Lieutenant Joe Martin, the Royal Marines boarding officer in charge of the operation explained the hashish, also known as cannabis resin, was tailed and tested aboard the HMS Montrose, a UK wholesale value of 6.5 million pounds estimated. Then the drugs were destroyed. I wonder how they destroyed them. Lieutenant Martin praised his team for 
for their seizure saying, I'm really proud of the team. We conducted this boarding efficiency uh, efficiently using the experiences we've gained over the past three months. We've learned each time when a board, when we board a vessel, never resting on our laurels and continually honing our edge. Commanding officer, commander Claire Thompson said, once again, HMS Montrose and her ship's company have proven their capability in the battle against the illegal and illicit activity in the region. The news comes three months after the U.S. Navy made headlines for a massive $4 million heroin seizure made in the Gulf of the Oman, which was similarly hidden aboard a stateless fishing vessel. According to ABC News, heroin, cannabis, and other illegal drugs are regularly smuggled across the Gulf of Iran before smuggled into the Middle East and Eastern European countries like the Balkans to countries in Europe. Well, keep your smuggling hat on. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. What does a smuggling hat look like? You'd have to be a smuggler to know what a smuggling hat is, Rico. It's top secret information. Good point. Good point. So is this all boof, Jason? What do you No, think? this is all hash. This is all hash. Yeah. This is like uh like uh like like traditional hash, you know what I'm saying? Like black tar hash. Click, click on the link. I like the arts and crafts project they did with the band. Yeah, they tried to, like, spat out their initials for the ship and everything, and, like, they really tried to get crafty and creative, and I'm really wondering how they destroyed it all so fast. I bet a big bunch of smoke was just coming up from yeah, the that's ship. Yeah, I noticed that too, Jason. The, they destroyed it as soon as they weighed it, right? That It's like... The, so, so, wow. Some to me tells me they destroyed it, by redistributing it to some other naval vessel that actually went and redistributed it throughout some land somewhere. Love it. I think we're at the. I think we're at time for that story. Now, up next, it's one of the top twenty-five women in cannabis making history. CEO award-winning Original Breeders League, MJ Bizcon's twenty twenty-one Golden Bond Influencer of the Year, and most importantly, one of the dopest mamas on the planet. Not just in the dirty mitten where they call Jason Beck white Gucci. I'm talking about the whole damn world. Coming to the stage next is Priscilla Agoncilla. What you got for us today, P? Hey, dope dad. Thanks for the intro. <laughs> so speaking of international boof, France enter, enters the medical cannabis industry. The French government issued a decree last month that authorizes the cultivation of medical cannabis and the development of its industry. The decree entered into force on March 1st of 22. Uh, regulators obviously still need to implement it. Currently, the legislation only specifies the conditions and procedures for cultivation and production of cannabis for medical use. The decree has amended some parts of France's Code of Public Health to allow for cultivation production, manufacturing, transport, import, export, and possession of cannabis and its derivatives under medical authorization. ANSIM, or the National Agency for the Safety of Medicines and Health Products, will be in charge of the entire cannabis industry. They also set up a committee made up of 11 members to examine the supply chain IDing of cannabis strains available for medical treatment, track and trace systems, the methods of ingesting cannabis, and the pharmaceutical quality criteria that they're going to apply to the cannabis industry there. Uh, in March of 21, they launched a pilot program uh, targeting 3,000 patients that are suffering uh, from anything from chronic pain to epilepsy. France first imported medical cannabis from abroad to support this pilot project, and this program will continue until March 26th of 2023. So France wants to create um, the 
industry based on the pharmaceutical industry. So everything will probably be medically certified and EU GMP certified. Uh, France will only establish a limited market. Ansem is actually the only industrial operator to delegate the production of cannabis. So uh, France currently has one of the strictest cannabis policies in the EU, although it has one of the highest cannabis consumption rates in all of Europe. Right now, possession of cannabis may face a prison sentence of up to one year and a fine of over 4,000 uh, euros alone. All I got to say, if, Fran if France doesn't allow for craft farming, they're going to fucking blow it. Louis Rotorat is the best champagne. We all know France for producing some of the best products, um, and they're serious as cancer in, in their quality. Um, we don't need another country pushing boof into the world market. This is Priscilla reporting for the SOC NewsHour. I thought Andre was the best. Uh, you know, one thing about this story, I hope they don't go and follow behind. I'm, I'm learning more about Canada and how flour is sold to the government and then the government sells it back to the retail. So hopefully the the ecosystem, they will really look at what's going on here in the U.S. and the other parts of, of the world and maybe get it right and or maybe get it get it done better. This article also, the way they're doing it in France also shows how cross-border commerce is important because that's how France's market is going is getting up and running. Yeah, so what do you so what do you do when you have your there you know the EU is so close and confined together when you have one country that is illegal but you have France that really counts on that, that country to to support the the legal use of. I mean it's pretty interesting. We have the same problem in the United States of America, Roz. Yeah, you're right. You're right, Jason. You're right. Calm I down. mean it, it's it's Calm still down, <laughs> it, it's it's still uh he's very passionate about booth um, not today it's not still today. <laughs> <laughs> uh it's it's been that way though in 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 europe you know people have traveled for forever up to amsterdam to access hash and you know or down to spain where it's easily uh, accessible um you know for for cannabis products and they've just traveled everywhere through trains they've they've smuggled they wore their smuggling hats priscilla do we know why the government is so hard given that the consumption is so high? What, why, why is the government coming from this angle? Right, that's, that's what I was wondering. It's so weird. F come on, France. I mean, seriously, they, they're not strict about a lot of things. And, and to be <clears throat> so strict about cannabis, even but, though but, everybody's consuming it, it's so mind-boggling. To me, it was If I was a native, you know, if I was living in France, I would be like, U.S., you can't tell me anything because you guys can't get it right. So, you know, they mean we're with them, but I don't know if they are going to listen to what we have to say because we're still struggling on this side. You know right. how to spell. They, they've, they've imported cannabis from North America to to France. So, you know, I, I think the the entirety of the world looks to the U.S. as a leader in cannabis. Uh, but, you know, we ha we don't have it right, but maybe to in their eyes, we, we actually do. Um, and going to uh, be the France of the world. Personally, I think that with us being one of the first uh, to put Appalachia on cannabis, um, to take that seriously for places like Humboldt and Northern California, I really do think that California will be the France of the cannabis industry. And I do think that the alcohol control and the wine control that exists in France has a lot to do with why they're not stepping up in as big of a way. You know how to for spell sure. weed in, Fran in French? O-I-D. Huh. <laughs> All right. Well, for that headline, Priscilla. Hold on. It's not ooh-la-la? -la. I thought it was wee-wee. Yeah. 
Oh, or is it All right. Pepe Every- Le Pew? Everyone's French. Everyone's French sucks. Let's move on. <laughs> Up next, we've got Gretchen Gailey. Gretchen is the founder of Panoptic Strategies and our Washington Insider. What do you have for us today, Gretchen? Uh, good afternoon, Nicole. Uh, my headline is coming from a new publication. It's called the New York Cannabis Insider. Um, but I don't know what their story is. seems that they seem to be run by a marketing company. But either way, they've put out a bunch of uh, articles today. So we'll take a look at one. One is war in Ukraine affects cannabis lobbying priorities. Supporters of ending the federal ban on marijuana said the odds of cannabis legislation passing this Congress just grew longer. That's because the war in Ukraine is occupying the time and attention that lawmakers otherwise could put to legislation, such as issues such as the Marijuana Opportunity Reinvestment and Consumption Act, better known as the Moore Act, or Safe Bank. Justin Streckel said, I am concerned that as Congress has a limited bandwidth to address things, this will bump marijuana off the agenda. Congress has not demonstrated a strong ability to walk and chew gum at the same time. Overhauling federal cannabis laws has never been a top priority, either in the White House or Capitol Hill. And the issue already had to compete efforts to combat the coronavirus pandemic, jumpstart the economy, following the last recession, rebuild the nation's infrastructure, address inflation, lower child care costs, improve health coverage, fight climate change, and reduce prescription drug prices. Now add Ukraine on top of that. Uh, According to Morgan Fox, I expect it's going to have a significant impact in terms of consideration of cannabis policy reform. Uh, He is the uh, new political director for Normal. Uh, With all of their other issues going on, it's worrisome. The House has passed safe banking as a standalone bill, as well as added it as an amendment to other pieces of legislation, most recently a measure providing federal assistance to help U.S. manufacturers better compete with China. But the Senate hasn't been willing to pass the legislation which would let banks provide financial services to legal cannabis businesses without a restorative justice section. A group of senators, including Cory Booker, are trying to put together their own comprehensive cannabis bill. The Marijuana Justice Coalition, whose members include Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights, American Civil Liberties Union, and the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, this week urged House Democrat leaders to bring the Moore Act up for a vote by the end of the month. They said mass criminalization and over-enforcement of drug law violations have devastated the social and economic fabrics of entire communities while also tearing apart the lives of millions of individuals and families. And while Black, Latino, Indigenous people have carried the brunt of marijuana criminalization, they have been shut out of the regulated marijuana marketplace due to these very same criminal records in addition to financial barriers to entry. I completely agree with this article. Um, I don't think it takes a brain trust to see that cannabis is going to get pushed further down uh, the agenda, uh, given the war in Ukraine. Um, And this is just another reason to pass stuff when you can, because it's cannabis is never high on anyone's agenda. So when you have someone's attention to get it done, we need to do it. This question for State of Campus News Hour. So do we really think the war in Ukraine is really stopping? One hundred percent, it is. I think it's an excuse. You think so? One hundred percent. Yes, I think it's absolutely a great excuse to kick things down the road. They are going to focus on Ukraine much faster than they're ever going to care about. You have there's only so many hours in the day, Roz, and if your hours are devoted to dealing with the Ukraine Russia situation and not. Uh, able to focus on other things, then yes, of course, it's going to get kicked on down the road. My point being is that before, even if there were an issue with Ukraine and going to war against Russia, vice versa, the issue about the Moore Act and also about, you know, safe banking was not a priority. So let's just Safe, safe banking was it wasn't a priority, a priority until Cory Gardner's grandstanded to have it killed. Have it killed? 
Well, I agree. Worry. I agree with you, Roz. It's it's the Ukraine war may be an excuse, but it it, was, it, it had no big factor really in the cannabis. Not not in this. It country. was gonna, if, if it wasn't that, it was going to be something else. It was going to be something else. You, the fact that we already were supposed to be having a conversation just on decriminalization, and that hasn't happened. So you think that the more act, and you think the reason why it hasn't been heard or it hasn't been pushed out faster. It's because of the the war, um, you know, the Ukraine war. I just, yeah. It's 100%. It's taking all the air out of the room, Roz. I mean, totally. Uh, and I get it, exactly what you're saying, Roz. I don't think the MORE Act, frankly, had a chance in hell in the first place of coming up again this Congress. Um, I think I, it I had its chance, it. and they did not push it forward. Yeah. yeah. I support the MORE Act 100%. I'm a part of the Marijuana Justice Coalition. I'm with it. I support it. I support the initiative and the aggressive and the aggressive manner they're going about it. But I just think that politics is still playing a big deal. And you got the D's and the R's who are like, well, you know what, this is a social issue. And then the R's are like, well, we're not going to get on board with it. And so that's just my opinion, Jason, and I'm stand on it. Well, well so- safe banking. <laughs> and I just wanted to say, Roz, I hear you on the Moore Act. I think Chuck Schumer is not going to care at all about the MORE Act. He's going to care about, if he's going to care about anything, his own bill, because that's how Chuck plays. He only plays with his own ball. He doesn't care about anyone else's. Fact. Okay. Would, you say, would you say that Chuck Schumer could care less about MORE? A hundred percent. She said Chuck Schumer only cares Schumer. about his own balls. Okay. Okay. How long so, do you sit think of these things, Rico? <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna give our audience the scoop today. Uh, we are gonna put the air back in the room and make sure they pay attention because there's a big event coming to Los Angeles in June. It's called the Summit of the Americas, and it's designed to have the hemisphere work together to be stronger. And we, the State of Cannabis News Hour, is hosting an event during the Summit of the Americas downtown Los Angeles, so we can showcase how how cannabis can be the glue to hold the Americas together. So, uh, you know, they're going to have to look at it. We're going to make sure they do. So uh, that being said, we're going to relight this room. You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. The thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers, not those of any other speaker in State of Cannabis or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and State of Cannabis and its speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or any other authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationships. The sponsorship of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expressions of any of the opinions whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any of its speakers. Viewer discretion advised. Want to learn how to generate a high income in the explosive business of cannabis? Get all the details of winning strategies, development from over 20 years in the game. This one-of-the-kind book is filled with dozens of personal business deals, insider stories, and invaluable lessons. The Business of Cannabis, a blueprint to high income by Jared Kesselman, finally reveals this elusive industry from the inside and teaches us how you can create a profitable business doing something you love. Get it now on Amazon. If you missed the beginning of the show, make sure to catch the replay on Clubhouse or find us a few hours after the show anywhere you get your podcasts or on our YouTube channel. And if you like the content, please subscribe and leave us a killer review. Our next correspondent is an educator, brand strategist, healthcare consultant, founder of the Cannabis Business Council of Santa Barbara County. And I know it's Women's History Month, so I'm saying this once again. It's not patriarchal or misogynistic to say that she is our very own pinup girl. Known for bringing the data and not the drama, come to the stage is Liz Rogan. What you got for us today, Liz? Thank you, Rico. Greetings, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. My story is an editorial from the Washington Examiner. The headline reads, Marijuana legalization is not harmless. 
This editorial is focused on a new working paper from the National Bureau of Economic Research. The author's bias is obvious from the beginning. The paper reviews data on opioid and marijuana use and highlights two key findings. One is medical marijuana, particularly when available through retail dispensaries, is associated with higher opioid mortality. The other is that data for recreational marijuana, while less reliable, also suggests that retail sales through dispensaries are associated with greater death rates relative to the counterfactual of no legal cannabis. And they say their study showed an increase in opioid deaths associated with cannabis use is greater for young, non-white men. While data from 1999 to 2010 suggested a beneficial effect when you include data from 2010 to 2017, they're saying this is the time period when medical or recreational cannabis legislation began, the results abruptly changed, swinging from 21% reduction in opioid deaths to a 23% increase. That is very significant. Here, the relationship between cannabis and opioid deaths is interesting in that it reinforces a much-mocked description of cannabis as a gateway drug. Different drug habits might well be related in ways we do not understand. And he's also saying, they're saying that habitual cannabis use as late as in one's mid-20s can cause permanent brain damage because it prevents proper development in the frontal cortex and is one of the last regions to, of the brain to develop fully. They're saying that brain structure is critical to planning judgment, decision-making, and personality. They're saying this means use among teenagers and young adults is deleterious and has permanent health effects. He's saying cannabis is not harmless. One need not exaggerate the dangers of cannabis to acknowledge that they exist. So I'm just going to start right now with my rebuttal. First off, the Washington Examiner, which is owned by Philip Anschutz, who is known as a hater of cannabis. And there's absolutely no author cited in this article. Uh, the National Bureau of Economic Research, NBER, is the NBER working papers are circulated for discussion and comment purposes. They haven't been peer-reviewed or been subject to the review by the NBER board of directors that accompanies official NBER publications. This is also very dated. The time period that research examined is not truly representative of the current medical cannabis and recreational cannabis and opioid use trends as it's examined in a time period from 2013 to 2019 when pill mills were huge. Today, due to the opioid epidemic, this is not the same situation. This does not give a true picture of the current state of affairs and should not be used for any decision-making premise. There are a lot of assumptions being made here. Only They only looked at races and age groups. No other comorbid conditions were mentioned. It doesn't examine cannabis separately, so the assumption must be that all are opioid users, and perhaps opioid users who are using cannabis were looking for greater pain relief. It doesn't report that other medications and illicit drugs may have been taken at the same time. While there is still much to be learned and more data to be collected and examined, we know that the current state of opioids is centered on fentanyl and carfentanil. Cannabis does not stop the brainstem from breathing, but opioids do. Cannabis will not kill you, but opioids certainly can. To most opioid users, cannabis is weak and usually is usually used to hold off cravings, which may actually show these opioid and cannabis users were a more highly addicted person. Any substance is harmful at certain levels, even water. Cannabis is much less harmful than opioids. It's even less harmful than ibuprofen. This has been shown in multiple studies looking at liver and kidney function. Many users of opioids must stop after a while due to the deleterious effects on the body, and this is not the case with cannabis. Though we know there is possibility of negative side effects such as cannabis hyperemesis syndrome, cannabis use disorder, COPD, and it's not recommended for youth unless it's needed for medical use. So as you can see, there's a lot of misinformation in here. Tried to correct some of it. Um, it's a 157-page report that they put out. So I don't think it's really representative of the current situation. This is Liz Rogan reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. If anyone has any comments, I'd love to hear what you have to say. Great job, Liz. Great job. Um, people don't know that sometimes white papers, quote-unquote white papers, 
are masquerading as propaganda. They're not based on science all the time. So people need to keep that in Philip mind. Philip Anschutz is the reason why Coachella is anti-cannabis. I'm with you, Dr. Felicia. That paper is total fake news. It's totally white. You are fake news. All right. Well, if we have no more uh, comments on that headline, thank you so much for that, Liz. And we'll go ahead and get to our next correspondent, Adelia Carrillo. Adelia is the CMO of Event High and the advisor of ICBWA and the co-founder of Blunt Brunch. What do you have for us this morning, Adelia? Thank you, Nicole. Good morning, everyone. Today's article is the OC Fair Board to Weigh Out Options for the Future of Cannabis at Costa Mesa Site. So the article begins uh, by talking about a woman named Janine Robbins. Um, Janine Robbins and her husband, they have been selling cigars and smoke-related uh, goods at high-traffic events like the annual OC Fair and ongoing swap meets uh, as co-owners of Paradise Cigars. Um, however, business isn't what it used to be, especially as of 2018 when they uh, passed a policy prohibiting the sales of glass pipes associated with marijuana smoking and products containing cannabidiol uh, derived from cannabis plants, which are two big money makers for the small business, for these small business owners. Um, now the article then goes into state that the fairgrounds, um, cannabis is prohibited at all events on the fairgrounds, as is the sales or marketing of any product containing THC, the psychoactive compound in the plant, or CBD. Um, but change is actually maybe on the horizon. Uh, last week, the Orange County Fair and Event Center Board of Directors authorized staff to review its cannabis event policy. Um, and they're determining whether they're prohibited prohibitions might need to be adjusted. Uh, the committee member, Sandra Cervantes, explained on February 24th to the board um, that there are trends that are changing around cannabis products, and it has shifted since the policy was adopted. Um, she also goes into stating that event promoters would like to include vendors at their events who sell CBD products but are prohibited by the current policy. A few things to also note around this. In November 2020, Costa Mesa residents overwhelmingly voted to allow retail cannabis sales and delivery. Um, a total of 64 applications for storefront businesses have been Per, uh, submitted so far in that area. And this summer, the California State Fair will be for the first time to host a cannabis growing competition in Sacramento, in which licensed cultivators will be judged on the quality of components in the indoor, outdoor, and mixed light entries. Um, so what's next? OC Fair and event officials will not speculate on how loose the strings on the policy are going to get, but there is a discussion. Richards also plans to visit the uh, revisit the considerations made when the policy was drafted, including local cannabis ordinances, um, such as the site's proximity to schools, parks, and youth centers. And Janine, who uh, was the beginning of the article, she just simply wants to start selling glassware again without having to worry about uh, what you know, what our customers, um, the trouble that our customers may face. So on my end, this is long overdue and honestly should have been a discussion before even we launched the CEO license in California. Those that have CEO licenses know how hard it is to find a venue that will allow them to host a cannabis event. Um, but I'd love to hear your guys' feedback. This is Adelia and I'm reporting on the State of Cannabis News Hour. I've been looking at the Orange County Fairgrounds for years now and um, there is a school across the street, so I don't know 
if that's going to affect anything. And for those of you who do not uh, uh, know CEO, what she's meaning by is a cannabis event organizer. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> we speak in so many acronyms. We're starting to become like the finance industry where we're talking in terms that if people don't know what you're talking about, they fall out of the conversation. So I always try to go back. Like We're like, COA, CEO, blah, blah, blah. People are like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? <laughs> Thank you. I think Denver Google. calls it the marijuana event. Yeah, they have a different name in Colorado. So every state does that has a license like this. They are naming it differently. So I get it. They have different everything in Colorado. Well, the good thing about it is if this works out in your favor, it will set precedents for other parts of the state that are looking to, you know, have more venues for, you know, for use of cannabis. I know plenty of places you can have uh, events at, in Orange County. Holla at me. Well, and the city is going to, like as Susan was saying about the school, um, the city has the authority to make uh, zoning variations in regards, like they're allowed to go if they want with a variance in regards to the, the distance. Um, you know, there's quite a few cities, West Hollywood, uh, Los Angeles. There's been quite a few cities that I know that have made some variance uh, adjustments depending on, on um, you know, availability of space. So you're saying concessions aren't just for uh, aren't just for uh, stands at events? No, they're for all kinds of people, Jason. All right, we're at time for that story. Up next, she's the Plants for Life CEO and a dual board certified physician that enjoys helping folks understand and manifest their immense innate powers over personal health by using cannabis as it was intended as medicine. Dr. Felicia Dawson, what kind of news you got for us this morning? Thank you so much for that intro, Rico. Happy Monday, everyone. My story comes from 11 Alive, From Bad to Worse, Medical Cannabis Less Available Than Ever in Georgia by Doug Richards. So this is an update on the story that I've been reporting on for the last couple of weeks. Some users of medical cannabis said it's harder now than ever to obtain the oil the state legalized seven years ago. Georgia lawmakers thought they made it easier for medical patients to obtain medical cannabis when they legalized it in 2015 and even passed the law to license six companies to grow and produce it in the state in 2019. But that stalled under the the weight of litigation, and eight months after a state commission awarded six grow licenses, nobody in Georgia is legally producing medical cannabis. Meantime, Out-of-state sources have dried up, according to medical cannabis advocate Dale Jackson of LaGrange, who needs it for his autistic son. None of you understand how I can legally obtain oil, because legally I cannot, Jackson told a House committee this week. Anywhere in the country, Colorado, nowhere. Georgia lawmakers are trying to fix the law jam, which stopped the production of medical cannabis before it even started. Seven years ago, the state legalized medical cannabis with great fanfare. Last July, the state issued six licenses to grow medical cannabis, and days later, 16 protests were filed, most from companies passed over for licenses. One bill in the House would expand the number of licenses from 6 to 12. Another would expand it to 22. Another bill could allow the governor to temporarily award licenses instead of the Georgia Access to Medical Cannabis Commission. Jackson said to the committee he used to travel to Colorado to buy it and bring it to Georgia himself illegally, violating federal interstate drug laws. But he said now out-of-state dispensaries are afraid they'll lose their licenses if they sell cannabis oil to him. Then I go back, then I go to the next state and the next one. You know where I end up, Jackson said to the committee? I end up about a block and a half from the state capitol 
buying my son's medicine from a drug dealer. Jackson added, so that's what seven years looks like to me. That's real, people. Real lives are affected by this. Jackson said to 11 Alive News that it's 10 times harder now to obtain cannabis oil in Georgia than before legalization. He is backing the bill that expands the number of legal growers in Georgia from 6 to 22. So as, as I have stated before, it's very frustrating that this Republican-led Georgia legislature seems to be more worried about consolidating power and lining their pockets instead of rolling out this very limited medical cannabis program that only consists of low TAC CBD oil, 5% TAC. They're more, they're more worried about the power and the money than their citizens. When things don't make sense, you have to ask, who profits from the status quo? I'm Dr. Felicia Dawson, reporting for the, can the State of Cannabis News Hour. I, I always thought, Georgia, when you initially had the, the law before that stated that you could consume the product, however you couldn't grow it, cultivate it, or process it in the state, it was just setting um, those patients up for failure. And so it just feels like a continuation, and I'm hoping that they will get it right and, and figure this stuff out quicker um, than later. I, I, my heart goes out to the folks in Georgia. Just got to get people safe access straight up. This is really unfortunate for patients. It's like, of all things, I feel like patients push this cannabis forward. This is where we are today because of patients, yeah. and they're still <laughs> suffering the most. Well, I know Nicole Buffong's in the audience, and she's from Georgia, and she, she tells her story that she's a, a refugee, refugee. She left Georgia and moved to Las Vegas because she couldn't get access to medicine, and it's just a shame. And this, this uh, Jackson, whose um, child has autism, there is no good pharmaceutical treatment for autism. These kids are on a, a cocktail of pharmaceuticals with mo multiple side effects, including uh, weight gain, and it's, and it's still not working. And so they're, they're depriving people of legitimate medicine that does this particular one, in this case of autism, does better than all these other pharmaceuticals. Thank you so much for that correspondence on that, Dr. Felicia, and your insight is always so appreciated. And yeah, absolutely. We need to be able to get access to cannabis, especially to uh, children and adults with autism. Um, we're going to go ahead and jump to our next correspondent. Up next, we have Ms. Roz McCarthy. Roz is Minority for Medical Marijuana founder and CEO and one boss. What do you have for us today, Roz? Hey, Nicole. What's going on, my sister? Happy um, Women's History Month to you and all the ladies that's listening. Um, this one is from Israel, and it's from the Cannabis Business Times, and it says, Israel on tap to beat U.S. to decriminalize cannabis. And so we just talked about this earlier. Israel is on the brink of decriminalizing adult-use cannabis before the U.S. Its Western ally that also happens to be the largest cannabis hub in the world through a patchwork of state legalization. While U.S. President Joe Biden has been busy putting policies in place to deny government security clearance to those who have invested in cannabis companies, the Israeli government is moving to approve regulations that would decriminalize adult-use cannabis and expunge criminal records for those with cannabis-related convictions. Israel President Isaac Herzog and Justice Minister Gideon Sayer announced March 6th that those with cannabis convictions would be able to submit a request to have their records erased. In addition, individuals with pending criminal proceedings related to cannabis use or possession would be able to have their charges dropped. The joint statement from Herzog and Sayer also served as Deputy Prime Minister referred to an April 20, 2019 
temporary order. The dangerous drug law stipulates that possessing or using cannabis when committed for the first or second time within five years would be considered liable for a fine. That order is set to expire at the end of this month. The statement also says that Herzog and Sayers' call comes out of desire to erase the label of criminality and the associated stain, quote-unquote, from anyone with prior cannabis-related convictions. The new regulation would not apply to individuals who were also charged with separate offenses alongside cannabis, except for the possession of drug paraphernalia. The special call also clarifies that those who were soldiers or a minor at the time of their arrest would not be included in the expungement provisions. Under the, de under the decriminalization components of the new regulations, minors, soldiers, and police would still be charged be charges as before, reported Harris, the longest-running print newspaper in, in Israel. Otherwise, the maximum fine would be limited to 1,000 she shekels, roughly U.S. $300 for personal cannabis use. Um, again, this is very specific. It's very intentional. Um, I wish that we could get it right and have a very specific intentional policy that decriminalizes cannabis in the U.S. And so I'm Roz McCarthy signing off of the State of Cannabis News Hour. Would love to hear your feedback. I don't understand why they decided to not have expungement apply to soldiers and people that were minors at the time. That's so weird. I think the t I think the Tinder swindler got his uh, uh, his record expunged. <laughs> I just watched that this weekend. Oh my god, that's so funny. Yeah, they they, they need to release Anna too. The the, the point, the, oh, guys. The point is, the top of the article says the U.S. is the cannabis hub of the whole entire world. Why can we not get it right in regards to decriminalizing this plant? It's actually California is the hub of the cannabis world. The U.S. just gets tailed along because California is part of it. Descheduler bus. Well, whatever you follow, say, follow the money. Follow the money. Follow the money. Follow the money. And Israel has like a, like all the patents like on the individual strains of cultivars, right? They have a lot of research for sure. Yeah, like 16 years under their belt. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, they've been doing it for the longest and especially medical. They've got the most legitimacy. All right, so up next we have from the law offices of Shalina K. Panu, focusing on cannabis entertainment and psychedelics. She is the founder of Shall We Talk. And our next correspondent is Shalina Panu. What shall we talk on this morning, Shalina? Thank you, Rico. Good morning, everyone. My name is Shalina, and my article for today is, How is Cannabis Really Being Tested at the California State Fair? The LA Times reported that state officials seem to be encouraging cannabis growers to boost THC content in their cannabis plants for the California State Fair competition. They state that there is a contest category that recognizes cannabis with the highest concentration of the acid form of THC. Last year, the California Conference of Local Health Officers wrote in a letter to the State Fair Board of Directors chairman stating that the competition will lead people to believe the best cannabis products are simply the ones with the highest concentrations. Further, they state that this type of framing is likely to result in inappropriate and unhealthy views of cannabis and to exasperate the public health concerns around its use. After doing my research, I was having some difficulty seeing things from the LA Times point of view in regards to suggesting that state officials are encouraging growers to boost THC content in their cannabis plants for the competition. The California State Fair Cannabis Awards competition states that the entries will be evaluated and ranked based on the abundance of terpenes and cannabinoids and the ratio of cannabinoid to terpene content. It further states the following, analysis of SC's lab database of terpene and testing results indicates that with few exceptions, cannabis expresses one of six possible terpenes in the highest concentration, the dominant terpene. Oftentimes, a particular cultivator has two or three of these terpenes in nearly equal concentrations, the co-dominant. 
These six dominant and one co-dominant classes will form the seven terpene-based awards categories. Winners will be selected based upon the overall concentration of terpenes present in the entries from each class. As far as cannabinoids, they, they state, with consideration for the ma major cannabinoids found in the raw form of the cannabis plant, test reporting will award contestants with the most abundance of three primary acidic cannabinoids, THCA, CBDA, and CBGA. The awards themselves will be given to the contestants whose cannabis has the biggest abundance of the qualifying compounds. The reason they said they are testing cannabinoids and terpenes is because it can represent more than 40% of the mass of the female flower. Additionally, they state that the profile of these high-potent compounds is the best predictor for the flavor, effects, and aroma of a specific strain. This is referred to as the plant's chemotype, which identifies and measures the terpenes and cannabinoids in any given strain. They actually don't want to do the typical indica, sativa, and hybrid method and want to instead celebrate the chemistry of the plant, which provides a better way to organize cannabis strains, plus it helps predict the aroma, flavor, and effects. The reports will identify specific cannabinoids and terpenes, and their levels of concentration determine the winners. Articles like the ones that LA Times reported are actually damaging the cannabis industry instead of helping. The California State Fair most certainly seems to be highlighting other key factors of the cannabis plants, such as cannabinoids and terpenes. What is your take on how the cannabis competition is being judged at the California State Fair 2022? My name is Shlaine, and I'm reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I genuinely feel like this should be uh, the same way that most fair items, which are strictly based on taste. Um, the effect obviously would be something that we would want to know about. But when we're talking about fair, the fair items, when we drink, when we do the wines, they're drinking, they're, they're not drinking the wine, they're spitting it out. So the effect of the wine is not relative. It's about the flavor. And we're, we're judging pies, we're judging jams, we're judging jellies. What does it taste like? The flavor needs to be the consideration when we're talking about the farm uh, to table interaction, the way that that tastes needs to be it should not be based on potency this is just a, exacerbating a problem that we're all having already it should absolutely be based on the way that it tastes and the biggest problem is that nobody in the fair is willing to bring in a judge's panel so the only way that they can separate human beings from this is if they go strictly off of science i call bullshit i don't think that's why they're doing it i think they're doing it so they can participate and still stay legal preach I drink, nicole I, I drink wine to get drunk Hey, right. make, make sure make sure you stop by the deep fried weed concession stand at the state fair. Oh, my God. Yes, absolutely. Well, that was a really great show. Uh, we've reached the end of it. If you missed any of it, make sure to catch the replay or find us a few hours after the show anywhere you get your podcasts or on our YouTube channel. And if you like the content, please subscribe and leave a review. A big thank you to all of the correspondents that comb through all the headlines each day to bring us just what we need to know. A big thank you to Nicole. Cole and Rico for co-producing the show and to our pinup girl Liz Rogan thank you audience for being our eyes and ears when there's news in your city county state or country your addition to our show makes the state of cannabis news hour news you can trust You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Also, I really resent the Los Angeles Times saying, are they high? Come on. Say goodbye, Rico. Free Brittany Griner. Goodbye. <laughs>